We're in a wilderness series, uh, looking at wildernesses in the scriptures, looking beyond the, the outward struggle of wilderness, and also looking at that, that inner struggle of the wilderness of the soul. And uh, this will be my last installment in the series, and then next week you'll get to hear from uh, Pastor David Butler and his wife Gail as well, we'll join him up here. And uh, you really, really don't want to miss this one. And uh, so it'll be very, very encouraging. But first, uh, this week, we get the wilderness experience of Jesus. Say it. It's about time. It's about time we get to Jesus. And so uh, I'm telling you, this is the most important wilderness to look at because without Jesus' wilderness experience, we are trapped in an eternal wilderness. And so on, on one hand, we cannot relate at all with this particular wilderness experience because it is the most epic wilderness experience of all time. Yet on the other hand, there is so much to learn from this wilderness experience that Jesus endures. And so uh, before we go through this passage, I just want to encourage you, please hold on to, to both of these. One, in awe of Jesus as the Savior who endured so much for you, and not just straight to the pragmatism, but be in awe of what he has done for you. But on the other hand, an eagerness to respond to wilderness the way he responds, an awe that he would do this, he would save your soul, and, and also a deep desire to be like him. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. We'll look at 1 through 11 this week. We've got Bibles throughout the room here. We'll put it up on the screen as well. And then uh, you can go on to your um, Bible app or the Charles River Church app, and we've got the scripture there for you. We're looking this morning at a common wilderness that we all face, and that is the wilderness of temptation. Temptation. And I've, I've wandered this wilderness countless times in my life, sometimes a day, a hard day, or several days, or weeks, or even months, seasons of particular um, temptations, and, and I've even wandered it a little bit this week myself. I've told you a frequent uh, temptation struggle of mine is, is with anxiety, and so just feeling that uh, myself, but knowing that God has called me to be anxious for nothing, uh, able to resist temptation this week. And so I wonder, has anybody in here this week duked it out with the devil? You've been there this week, some of you? Uh, maybe you, you, you've been tempted this week in some capacity, and there's nothing wrong with temptation. It will come to all of us. It's what you do with that temptation, whether or not you uh, choose to sin. I, I wonder if anybody's given in to temptation this week, and you're here, and you don't know quite what to do with that. Let me do this. Let me start with the good news, if I can. Spoiler alert, where we're going in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus never gave in to temptation. Never. And because of his righteousness, we can be counted as, as righteous even though we haven't been righteous. And, and in today's passage, we'll see Jesus just be unbelievably tempted, yet never sin. And you know the rest of the story, he never, 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 ever will sin. And he's the only one who has responded to all temptation in strength and not sin. And so he's undeserving of the wages of sin, which is death, yet he dies. In fact, he lays down his own life. That's what the cross is. So that if we will trust in what he has done for us with his work on the cross, with his death, and it will be 
his death in exchange for our eternal death. It'll be his life and his righteousness in exchange for our life and our unrighteousness because he wore our unrighteousness upon himself on the cross and it was nailed to the cross and it is still on the cross if you trust in the cross, if you place faith in what Jesus has done for you. And so if you turn to him, giving your life to him, you cannot be crushed by your sin. You can know he has dealt with it. He loves me and He still loves me even when I continue to struggle. It's that life of freedom that he wants to give you. And so I want you to sit in that for a moment because of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus has endured, you have freedom. It's amazing. And maybe today you've never experienced that freedom. Maybe today you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. As we do every week, I want to call you to that. I want I want to call you to turn to Jesus. I want to call you to to trust in Jesus. No matter who you are, where you're at in life, you need Jesus. And so talk to me. Talk to one of the leaders afterwards. We would love to talk to you about giving your life to Jesus, about trusting in Him. Now that that felt good for me. That felt good to, to start there. We normally end there with the message, the gospel of Jesus. But it it felt good to to start there this morning. We need to start there because if you have trusted in him and if you have been freed from the eternal effects of sin, you now are going to want to honor him with your life. You're going to want to resist temptation the way Jesus does. Are you with me? You with me? You, you feel that, that tension and all of what he's done, yet at the same time, pragmatically, a desire to want to be like him and to resist and to honor him. And so read with me Matthew chapter 4. We'll go 1 through 11. Let's just read it all this morning. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the wilderness of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, a very intense six weeks of Jesus' life. And like Jesus, all of us will go through temptations. Maybe not to that caliber, but we will all go through temptations. Maybe for you it's one particular temptation that just rears its head from time to time. Maybe for you it's one particular temptation that gets really intense in waves. Maybe for you it's, it's one particular sin, uh, temptation that, that you find yourself in, in in unique scenarios. Maybe for you it's a, a series of temptations where you're, 
You're finding yourself struggling to be faithful to God. Your, your faithfulness to God is threatened. Whatever that looks like for you, I want you to, to know this. You will, you will, we will, we all do deal with temptation regularly. And temptation is not sin. It's, again, what you do with that temptation. And two things are, are certain. First of all, because of what Jesus has done, your failure does not cause you to be cut off from God. You're going to struggle. You're going to fight it. And from time to time, you're going to fail. And it doesn't cause you to be cut off from God if you have placed faith in Jesus. The other thing I want you to think about is the reality that, that though He is faithful, when we are unfaithful, if we love Him, we will be concerned with holiness. If we love Him, we will be concerned with honoring Him with our lives. We will want to resist temptation. If you have no regard for holiness, if you have no regard for being Christ-like and growing in that, I would say your, your salvation is probably in question. If you love me, you will, what does it say? You will keep my commandments. So let's dig into to Jesus' wilderness a bit together here. To, to see his faithfulness and to follow his, his lead. First of all, I want you to notice in, in verse 1, the very first word is then. This word tells us that, that the wilderness came immediately after something. And so if you look ahead, what just happened? In the passages above, what just happened was Jesus was baptized. He was baptized it was just an absolutely incredible experience where the, the whole Trinity was in, involved. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the, the skies opened up and the Holy Spirit descended upon the Son like a, a dove. We don't quite know what that looks like, but somehow like a dove. The, the Father is there and the Father speaks this word of affirmation. You are my beloved Son with whom I am pleased. And, and so Father, Son, and Spirit. It's just this amazing inauguration of the ministry of Jesus. But then, it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. An amazing experience. God is moving. And then a time of testing. Think back with me a bit through our, our series. Doesn't this seem to be consistent with what we've seen throughout this wilderness series as we looked at various biblical figures? You think about, think about Moses, the Israelite, who's poised to be Pharaoh, king over Egypt. And he's poised, it's amazing, but it's followed by wilderness. Think about David, who's anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel. But that anointing is followed by wilderness. Think about Elijah and these amazing miracles. Fire from heaven, rain from heaven, defeat of the prophets of Baal. But then he's driven into the wilderness. Think about the Apostle Paul, this incredible conversion experience. And, and immediately his ministry just explodes and people are intrigued with him. But then he's driven for three years into the wilderness. And now Jesus, this incredible inauguration experience for his ministry, immediately followed by wilderness. Now notice, does it say that Jesus stumbled into the wilderness? You can look down. Does it say that? No, it says he was led up. By the Spirit. God wanted him in, in the wilderness. God was preparing him. God was testing him. Again, the wilderness is not the junkyard. The wilderness is the workshop where God is doing some things. 
God's preparing for what is in store, what's to come. And here's what I would say to you, is that when God is moving powerfully in your life, be aware of this common pattern that we have already looked at through this series. Don't be blindsided. Be ready. And quite frankly, don't be discouraged. Be honored that God would bring you into the wilderness, that God would want to soup you up and to prepare you for something greater. Because that's what happens with all these figures. God moves wilderness, and then God does something even greater. Now, three temptations of Jesus, and they follow some patterns that I want us to to pick up on if we can. The first temptation we see here is stones to bread. Jesus is fasting, he's praying, he's having this amazing time with his heavenly Father, and then Satan tempts him to take some stones in the wilderness and turn them into bread for for, for food. But it was God's will, the Father's will, that Jesus would not eat, that he would fast and he would really focus in on prayer and on being with the Heavenly Father. So what Jesus does is he responds with Scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds or comes from the mouth of God. And so he refuses to exchange the spiritual bread for a rock turned into physical bread. That's temptation number one. Temptation number two is the temple jump. Not to be mistaken with temple run. We're talking temple jump. Maybe somebody needs to invent that app, the temple run or temple jump app. Uh, But Satan leads Jesus into now the big city, into Jerusalem, to the top of the temple, the the pinnacle, the, the, the point where people would see it. They couldn't miss it. Somebody's on the temple. And they, they, they would see that and he tells Jesus to, to jump. Now this wasn't him trying to get Jesus to commit suicide, to thwart the ministry. What he was actually trying to do was he was trying to get Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple, from a very, very public place, and then call angels to come and swoop down and catch him and let him, ta-da, land like Dominique Mociano and stick the landing and and, and the stone wouldn't strike his foot. And he would be okay, this 700-foot free fall and then he lands nice and safely and people would immediately say he's the messiah this looks like something i read in malachi that he would come and and it would be sudden it'd be amazing and and so they would then say wow this is it's like a david blaine trick and everybody comes and wow this guy's incredible and 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 that was not how god had it planned right that was not the will of the father it was satan's plan not the father's plan the father's plan was that it would be this slow methodical acquiring of people while he travels through tough places and teaches and performs miracles not right up front but a long journey and Jesus resists that temptation again with scripture third temptation is the temptation of bowing down to Satan it's God's plan that Jesus will rule the world you read the end of your Bible and he will be on the throne in Jerusalem. It's God's plan. But Satan wanted to have Jesus take the short plan, get there quicker, just so as long as he would just bow down to him right then and there. You bow down to me and see all these kingdoms right here. He brought them to a hill. All of them are mine, probably some kind of vision. And you bow down to me, you can, can have the kingdoms right now rather than the long plan. And Jesus says, I don't think so. You be gone. You get out of here. And he quotes more scripture to him. He again quotes from Deuteronomy. He says, you shall worship only the Lord uh, and him only shall you serve. And then Satan bails. 
and then angels rush in to minister to Jesus. And know this, this experience, so we're kind of putting into a little small package of a, of a sermon this morning, was so much more intense than we can possibly imagine. And he was battling it out for you and for me, for faithfulness to the Father, but also for you and for me. He's battling it out in the wilderness for our souls, for God's eternal plan. Now, these temptations follow some patterns that I want us to pick up on if we can together this morning. So if you're a note taker, this is a great place to start taking notes. Some of you played sports when you were younger. Maybe you still play sports and One important practice for athletes is the practice of watching film or going and scouting out other opponents so that you can be ready. I was a wrestler in high school. Go ahead and you can laugh and get that out of your system if you want to laugh, but uh, it was not the big gold belt buckle wrestler. That's that's what you call a wrestler. I was a wrestler. And uh, so spandex and uh, it was sophisticated wrestling. My wife's not buying that, but that's what I'll say. And uh, she, she learned to love me after my wrestling days and so she never experienced that she I don't know if she would have loved me back then would you maybe but at wrestling tournaments what I would do is I would I would go to the brackets and would put the brackets on the wall of the tournaments and you could look ahead if I win this I'm going to be wrestling this guy and so in between breaks you would go and you would watch the different guys wrestle and you would you would kind of learn their their moves and figure out how they would work so that you could then be prepared. And that's what I want us to do just for the next little while together is I want to look at the tempter. I want to look at the enemy. I want to look at Satan. And I want to pick up on his patterns because the tricks that he pulls on Jesus are tricks that he pulls on us today. Now, let me say this, that chances are pretty slim that you yourself have been picked out by Satan, by the enemy, and he is tempting you directly. See, Satan doesn't have the attributes of God. He's not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. That means all-powerful. He's not omniscient, omniscience, all-knowing. And he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at one time. And so he can't be tempting all of us at the same time. He can't do that. Satan doesn't have that power. Of course he went to Jesus. Jesus is his greatest threat and Jesus crushed him Jesus destroyed him but he can go to every single one of us but he has legions underneath him who can assist him in tempting us and so don't say well I'm tempted just as Jesus you probably didn't have that kind of intense temptation but you do have some of the same tricks pulled on you and so let's learn the patterns of Satan and we can learn the patterns of everybody else on his team here's the the first one I want you to maybe write down is that he attacks when and where you are vulnerable. That's what he does. When did he go after Jesus? Did he say, okay, now Jesus is in the wilderness, let's get him. No, he waits 40 days after, it says after fasting for 40 days in verse 2. He says, I'm going to wait till he's good and, and hungry. And it didn't work on Jesus. But he pulled it because based on his experience, it works on people like you and me. Let me ask you this. When do you find that you're most vulnerable to to temptation? Maybe you never thought about that. It's important to think about. Just like when you are are playing sports and, and you're able to look back or in your career and you're able to look back and say, what went wrong? 
think back with, with me to some of your own struggles and, and what went wrong. When are you most vulnerable to give in to temptation? Can you identify some patterns in your, your own life? Let me give you some that, that, that I'm, I'm aware of, that I've seen in my life. For, for some people, it, it's, it's people when they're at the top. That's, that's when they're most vulnerable. Some of the, the wildernesses that we've already journeyed through in, in the scriptures together through this series, people have been in these wildernesses because they were self-inflicted wildernesses. Oftentimes after being at the top. Elijah, huge miracles, and then he falls hard. And it wasn't God sending him. He ran into the wilderness, if you remember. Moses, prince of Egypt. He's at the top. He's invincible. And then he kills a man. David, king of Israel. You know the story of David's big fall? He's the king of Israel. He's going out to battle. He's fighting all these battles. But, but right before he gives into the temptation of adultery and he, and he sleeps with Bathsheba and gets her pregnant, right before, the, the Bible makes note to point out that David decided to not go to battle. I'm above that now. I don't go fight anymore. He's sitting, idle hands. He, he's, he's doing, I, I'm, I'm good, I'm comfortable, I'm on top. And then he falls. And when you're on top, I've seen for many, you're vulnerable. If, if I were to grab one of you, and I won't do this, but if I were to grab one of you as a volunteer and have you come stand up here on the stage and we were to lock arms, is it easier for me to pull you down or for you to pull me up? It's the person on top. It's easier to, to, to pull them down. And, and so that's common. People rise quickly. People are doing well. They start to think too much of themselves. And that's when you're vulnerable. And that's when you're vulnerable. Another occasion that, that I've seen as I've done ministry that, that people tend to, to be the most vulnerable is one is when they're tired. Just, just to be honest, when they're tired. I've, I've spoken to a lot of men who have struggled with pornography through their lives. And oftentimes what I hear is it's late at night. Wife's in bed. they got the laptop open. Or they have the phone right beside the bed and they're laying in bed and they're tired and they're, they're not strong and fresh like the morning. And that's a common struggle for many people. Another one I, I, I've heard is, this is going to be lighthearted, but when you're weak, like you're hangry, anybody? You're hungry, feeling weak, and I'm angry, and you bring it together and you're just, just nasty. A little more seriously, maybe you're emotionally weak. I've seen it countless times where people are just emotionally weak. It's maybe fresh after a breakup and they're just an emotional wreck and so they go date somebody they, they shouldn't be dating. It's clearly a sin, but they're just rebounding. They're emotionally weak. Here, here's the point. We could go on and on about when you're vulnerable, but Satan likes to go at you and attack you when you're vulnerable. Let me give you another pattern, tactic of, of the enemy. One thing he'll do is he'll try to get you to doubt your identity. He'll try to get you to doubt your identity. Notice what he tries with Jesus. The first two temptations, twice, he says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the, the temple. Jesus is the Son of God. Satan knows it, but he tries to question, if you are the Son of God. And Satan will do that to you. He will try to cause you to question your identity. Does God really love you? I mean, do you, 
why would he love you? I mean, you, you failed so many times. You're such a, a loser. People in your life have, have abandoned you. That relationship, there's a, there's a reason why they left. And God wouldn't love you either. And, and, and Satan likes to do that. Would God really forgive that particular sin? When the Bible makes it clear that, man, there are some major, major sins and God forgives them all. You are weak. Just give up. Just give up. Just quit. When the Bible says you are more than conquerors, when Christ is in you, your hope of glory, there's nothing that can stop you. And he just questions your identity. Don't let him question your identity that you get from the Scriptures, that you know from the Scriptures. Here's, here's another pattern of the enemy. And that is, he lies. And he, he, he twists the truth as well. So from time to time, my boys and I will pretend fight. Now, I'm not a child abuser. We just pretend fight. And so we're just messing around and, and kind of, you know, sparring. And I'll do that with my kids. And, uh, and one of my best moves that I'll have with the kids is I'll say, dude, hot air balloon. And they'll turn around and then uh, and wrap them up, you know. Or uh, an airplane. Or a lion in Boston. And, th- and then they fall for it every time. And that's one of my best moves, right? Now, now Satan does that. It's a lie, of course. Satan does that too. He, he lies to you. John 8, chapter 44 says that he's the father of lies. Have you ever been lied to by the enemy? He, he's just whispering things, thoughts popping in your head, just lies of, of the enemy. He does that to Jesus. Lies to him. He'll twist the truth with Jesus, doesn't he? What, watch how he does this, how he, how he twists the truth. He, he tries to get Jesus to turn stones into bread, and, and Jesus quotes Scripture. And so when that happens, the next, next temptation that comes along, he tries to get Jesus to jump from the pinnacle. And so he decides, hey, I'll play Jesus' game. If he values Scripture, then, then I'll use Scripture too. And so Satan quotes Scripture back to Jesus, and he quotes Psalm 91, 11, and 12. But, but, but here's what he does. It says this. It says, he will command his angels concerning you. And, and Satan says, and on their hands they will bear you up. See, God says he'll command his angels and they'll bear you up. So just jump. But he skipped over when he quotes back. He skips, skips over the, the phrase right in the middle of that that says, in all your God's ways. Which implies that if you're not following God's way to do some things that maybe you think are, are right, you've got you to gotta follow God's way. You've got to follow God. He skips over that. He gives them like a, a partial truth. And as I tell my kids, half truths are whole lies, right? You're withholding some of the truth and giving me the part that you know works. And so Satan gives them this, this half truth, leaving out God's ways. And, and Jesus knows this is not God's way. God's way is this long way to Messiahship. And he'll do that with you. I hear people all the time say, well, well the Bible says that, that God wants me to be happy. And so they'll find some happy verses, you know, in the Bible. And then they'll use those happy verses and say, so over here, I don't have to obey this because that does, this makes me happy. God wants me to be happy. I feel blessed when I'm in this kind of relationship, when I'm doing this. And it, you're, you're, you're following lies of the enemy. You're taking half-truths. You're, you're, you're not doing in all his ways. He wants you to be happy. And Satan does that, and we follow that, and we jump on it because we want what we want sometimes if it's not according to what God wants. 
for us. Don't let them lie. Don't let them twist the truth. So those are just some of the, the tempter's move. He has three here that we've looked at. And now it's time to trash talk. You ready to trash talk? I'm not great at sports, but I'm really good at trash talking. And so just in your heart right now, just, just trash talk Satan. Say, yo, is that all you got? Just say it to him. Is that all you got? Because he's got three. But we're about to look at Jesus has at least five here. And so one thing I would do when scouting out opponents is I would see what they got. And then I would start to think about what I got and, and how I can counter their moves. They're going to do this, but I'm going to turn around and do this. So when we get up on that mat and he tries to pull this on me, I'm going to do this to him. And so here's what I want to give you now. I just want to give you a few counter moves. A few counter moves. You want to write these down. Here's, here's your counter moves. The first one is you've got one offensive weapon. Every single time Satan comes at Jesus, what does Jesus do? Scripture. 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 Satan is the father of lies and the truth, the Scriptures, the Bible, that's his kryptonite. And you've got to know it. You've got to know it. You've got to know the Bible. You've got to be prepared to give it to him, to shut him down. Every single one of us needs to be growing in our understanding of the Scriptures, in our ability to handle the Scriptures. Think back to your life Are you at the same place in terms of your understanding of the Scriptures this year as you were last year? Don't let it be so. Yes, we're at different places in our our journeys with Christ, and that's great. That's amazing. Some of you grew up in the faith. Many of you gave your your life to Jesus later on in life. You're at different places. But don't be the same place next year that you are right now. Read it. Study it. Learn it. Memorize it. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us uh, the armor of God. Things like the, the helmet of salvation, the, the shield of faith, the, the belt of truth, the, the shoes to, to prepare ourselves to go out with the gospel of peace, the breastplate of righteousness. But the only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, it goes on and says, which is the Word of God. And so when you're tempted, when you're struggling, use the truth of Scripture to combat his lies. Memorize Scripture. Help your kids memorize Scripture. I'm so thankful that when I was younger, my parents helped me to memorize Scripture because now I'm using it all the time, all the time. So memorize Scripture. And it'll be such a helpful weapon for you. God will bring it to your mind. It's amazing when you don't think you, you know something, but then you're in the midst of a circumstance and God just files it to the front of your brain because you learned it. Years and years ago. I love how God the Holy Spirit does that. So you got one offensive weapon. One offensive weapon. The rest of them are more defensive. And so let's walk through them now. The next one is, the next counter is knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. So my oldest son, Isaiah, uh, loves to play baseball. We just yesterday finished up baseball season as we uh, forfeited our last playoff game because everybody's out of town for Father's Day and summer break early. And so my, my oldest son, he's not the biggest hitter out there, but he's smart. He's book smart. He's baseball smart. And so he knows how to, knows how to play. And, and so what I've been trying to do as one of the assistant coaches on the team is help the whole team understand what 
the, the, the various things they need to do are, the various scenarios when they come at them. So I'm trying to teach them, when you're standing out there on the field with a glove in your hand and the pitcher is setting, you need to be thinking the various scenarios that are going to come at you when the, when the ball comes at you. I want you to start to think about what you're going to do. Because what we found was happening to a lot of the kids is the ball would come to them and they'd get the ball and they wouldn't quite know what to do and so they'd wait for the coach to scream at them before they would do something. We say, you got to know so that when the ball comes, you're ready to, to go. And so think about if, if, if I'm hit a ground ball, I'm going to first or I'm going to second. If I'm hit a pop fly, I'm going to see if the runner let off a little bit. I'm going to get him before he, he tags up. Or, or, or if the pitcher throws a bad pitch and it's in the dirt and it goes behind the catcher and the guy's going to steal, I'm going to go cover second base. Think about all the various scenarios that, that you're going to go through. And, and we need to know the various scenarios, the, the potential uh, plays of, of the enemy. And, and so First John chapter 2.16 says this. And here's, here's what it says. It's a very important passage of Scripture. It says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's from the, the world. These are three general categories for temptation. Potential ways that it's going to be hit at you. The first is the desires of the flesh. That's physical temptations are going to come at you. Some of you know these very well. Maybe it's food. Gluttony is just as much a sin as, as drunkenness. And so some of you it's, it's, it's food. Some of you it's, it's substance and drunkenness. Maybe some of you it's uh, sexual sin outside of marriage, whether it's before you're married or you're married and outside of marriage, whether it's pornography or, or, or it's uh, flirtatiousness at, at work, whatever it may be. Maybe it's the, 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 the physical uh, desire of the flesh of using your mouth and gossiping about people. Maybe it's physical violence. Your anger gets manifested into being rough towards somebody. Desires of the flesh. And, and then the next one is the desires of the eyes. That is, you see something you want and you covet it. Or you see something that, 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 that you're enduring and, and you covet not having that. You want to get out of something. It's dissatisfaction. It's, it's lusting for things. It's, it's, it's covetousness. Maybe it's insecurity. We've talked about that as well. The desires of the eyes. And then, and then the third play that could come at you, another way that, that Satan might cause temptation to come at you is what is called, referred to here as the pride of life. That is, a desire for glory, a desire for credit, a desire for power, a desire for honor that is due God alone. Being consumed with wealth, being consumed with stuff, seeking to make a name for yourself. Now I want you to notice something of these three categories. Satan tried all three of these on Jesus, didn't he? This is exactly what he did. The flesh. You're hungry? We'll turn these stones into bread. The eyes. Come here. Let me, let me show you. Brings them up to the hill. Shows them all the kingdoms. You see that? You want that, right? You want that now. You want that right now. Not later. Right now. Just bow to me. Worship me. The pride of life. If you jump... And then the angels come and swoop in and you land on your feet. They're going to start celebrating you. You're going to have this massive following right now. Power. Pride of life. Jesus didn't give in. He knew Satan's games. And so knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Here's another counter. I'll call it the pregame ritual. This is, again, not an offensive. The word is our offensive. The pregame ritual. So back to wrestling, if I can, for just a minute. 
my very first wrestling tournament that I ever won, I had a buddy say, Josh, I heard this idea. We got to try it. And he, he heard that, that if the night before a big wrestling match, you got the, the bathtub just full of really hot water, and, and then you filled it with baby oil, you get into the bathtub and your pores would open wide up and the baby oil would just seep right into your skin. And the next day you get on that wrestling match and you start sweating and you're slippery and they can't get you anymore. And so sure enough, they couldn't hold on to me. I just wormed out everything and I won my very first wrestling tournament. It was incredible. It was incredible. In the Bible, it says that it uses the illustration over and over and over again of oil as as a picture of the Spirit of God. When kings were anointed with oil, it was a picture of God's Spirit on them. It uses the illustration of, of water as, as the Word. Jesus at the well and the woman, I'll give you this water, you'll never thirst again. He's referring to His, his Word. And think about how Jesus had this pregame scenario before going into the great temptation. He was baptized and the Spirit of God came upon Him to empower him for his ministry. And then he gets into the wilderness and he's quoting scripture over and over and over again. Why? Because he soaked himself in the word so that it was just flowing out of his mouth. You couldn't come at him. You couldn't, he was slippery, Jesus. And the enemy can't get traction in your life if you're pregame. That means every morning getting yourself slippery for temptation. By, by God, I pray that your spirit would empower me today. God's spirit comes upon you the moment you give your life to Jesus. And he is with you forever. However, God's spirit fills us with greater fillings from time to time. If you go back and listen to our Holy Spirit series, it'll be really helpful for you. But the, the spirit of God fills you with greater... And maybe you need to say, God, today I know the scenario I'm going into at work in the past, that scenario has really tripped me up. God, would your spirit, would you, you fill me and, and strengthen me so that I can resist. And, and every day, opening the scriptures, this is invaluable to you, opening the scriptures every day and making yourself slippery. Think about the Israelites. When they're wandering the wilderness, the people of Israel, they're wandering the wilderness and God provides for them every morning manna, bread falls from the sky and they wake up and they go out their tent and the ground is covered with manna. Now one thing that's really interesting about the manna is they had to eat it that morning. They couldn't store it away. They couldn't bottle it up. They couldn't put it in a pickle jar. They had to have it every morning. And that's how it works for you with the Word. You need it every morning so that you can resist temptation. Pre-game ritual. Pre-game ritual. And as I look back through my life, my greatest failures were seasons where I probably wasn't in the Word the way I should have been. I wasn't dependent on God, the Holy Spirit, probably the way I should have been. Or days where I just I tripped up on that day. Or days where the Word was lacking. I wasn't leaning on God. I was leaning on my own strength. Pre-game ritual. What is tomorrow morning going to look like for you? Have you aligned your schedule? Have you aligned your alarm clock so that it's not, if I get some time, I'll open the Scriptures, but I will make some time to open the Scriptures? Crucial. Two more counter moves. Next one is this. Prevention is better than cure. You ever played the game Whack-A-Mole? Maybe this summer you'll get out and go to you know, somewhere where you can get a carnival or something. And the, 
you got the hammer and you're whacking the little moles as their head pops up and then they get faster and faster and faster and then you just can't, you just can't keep up with it. You just wish it would slow down or just, if I could just put some tape over a couple of the holes, I could, I could, I could hang with these three, but I can't do all, all eight of them. And here's what you need to do. You need to not just whack moles, you need to fill some holes. And that's kind of what temptation can feel like. It just keeps coming at me, it keeps coming at me, and maybe this one keeps coming at you over faster and faster and you just can't keep up with it. And maybe, maybe you need to fill some holes up. And plug it. Prevent it. Maybe you're, you're struggling with crossing some physical boundaries with somebody you're not married to. For those who are single in this room. You're crossing those boundaries. Maybe the way to plug the hole is to say, you know, I'm just not going to go hang out at their apartment by myself. I'm not going to do that. Maybe you're, you're struggling with pornography. Maybe it's, I need to get some software. It might make your phone a little more inconvenient, but you've got to plug the hole. We have plenty of software options we can recommend you to, to, to filter for you. I mean, what's better? Fighting cancer or avoiding radiation in the first place that caused cancer? I mean, hello. In this instance, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, so it was God's plan. God never tempts anyone, but he allowed him to be tempted. However, if you think back in your own life, you look back at the Bible, we're, we're told to flee youthful lusts. We're told to destroy strongholds. Is that something you're doing, or are you just trying to whack moles as they come at you? And we need to plug some holes. Here, here's, the last, here's the last counter I want to give you, and that is play the long game. Can you endure one more wrestling illustration? I won't talk about wrestling for the next year, but, but one more. One of my tactics was that I could outlast just about anyone. That was, that was one of my tactics. Because in the winter, I wrestled, yes. But in the fall, I was a cross-country runner, long distance. And in the spring, I ran long distance for track. And so wrestling, I was wrestling, and I had a lot of wind. And so there might be short guys with big arms, and I was a little bit taller than them with skinny arms, but I had a lot of wind in me. And so I didn't pin a lot of people. But the way I, I won when I won was I won because I just outlasted them. And I would go all three periods and the buzzer would buzz and I had more points. And that's how I would win. Listen to what James 4, 7 says. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Does it say attack the devil? Does it say go out and buffy the vampire slayer with your cry and go after him, find him, hunt him down? No, it says resist him. Notice Jesus didn't even enter into dialogue with the devil. Well, let's talk about this. Let me tell you why your ideas are, they're not great ideas at all. And no, what does he do? He just quotes, quotes some scripture. And then even in verse 10, he says, get lost. <laughs> just get out of here. Do not try to toy with Satan. Do not try to outsmart him. Do not try to play the game in your mind. Well, what's he saying? This came in. If you get an immediate gut check that that's not of God, don't start to entertain that in your your head. Just resist. Just know the truth. 
and let Jesus be victorious. And before you know it, you will be through it or you will be at the end of your life and you will be through it all. And the temptation will be no more. It will be over. And Jesus' victory will be undeniable. But resist Him. Resist Him. Resist Him. And He will flee from you. One offensive weapon and all these defensive strategies. Resist. The offensive weapon is just know the truth. Throw it back at Him. Don't dialogue with him about it. Just say, this is what God says. Maybe you're here and you're, you're tired from the battle of temptation. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And I just want to pray God's encouragement over you. I want to pray that God will help you to not quit. Know that victory is coming. The Bible is as good as done. Everything that it declares about the future, about Jesus' victory over Satan, sin, and death is Though it's future, it's, it's done right now. And be encouraged by that. And again, others of you in here, you, you need to give your life to Jesus and see what Jesus has done first and foremost for you before you try to go and do the things that he did. You need to, in faith, trust in Jesus and say, I want to turn to you, Jesus. I want to trust in your victory over Satan, sin, and death. And I want to follow you. I want your life exchange for my life. Your death exchange for my eternal death. Your righteousness exchange for my righteousness. And it's a free gift. So can we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. So beautiful, so powerful. Thank you that we know that you win. We know the end of the story. But God, in the meantime, I pray that you would help us to, to play the long game. And not try to fight in our own power, but allow the power of the Scripture and the eternal victory that you have shine in our lives. And so God, for the, the people in the room who are struggling right now, and they're feeling it, I pray that you would encourage them. The wilderness of temptation is really, can be really brutal. So God, would you strengthen them, encourage them, help them to press on, surround them. May they know your word and utilize it, not be deceived. May they lean on the victory of Jesus. And God, for anyone in this room who has not ever given their life to Jesus, place faith in what you have done for them. God, I pray that you would help them to stop leaning and resting on their own self, their own sufficiency, and they would trust in the one who was sinless and went through it all, yet was without sin. And if that's you in the best way, you know how you call upon the name of the Lord right now. Jesus, I want to place faith in you. I want to turn from living my life independent of you, and I want to trust in you. And in an instant, his righteousness is on you. You are a child of God, and you are eternally secure. Heaven is your home. Father, do your work in our hearts. Help us to respond accordingly. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.